live. We are. Hey. Hey. Hey, Dan. Hi, Glenn. How are you going? I'm good, mate. How are you? Good, mate. Uh, welcome, everyone, to uh, episode five of the Super Testing Bros podcast. We are yeah. here with Trenton. Hello. And Ron. Hi there. Uh, do you guys want to just uh, take two seconds to uh, introduce yourselves, Trenton, first? Sure. Uh, I'm Trenton Bergeron. Uh, I've been in QA now for a little over 15 years. Um, and um, I, I enjoy it, so it's like my thing. Okay, cool. You're in the right place, then. And you're you're based and worked mostly in the north northwest of America. That's correct. Uh, I'm from Washington State uh, and uh, Seattle area. Okay. So that's going to be relevant to today's topic. And we've got uh, my my good friend Ron from from the Germany. That's right. That's right. So hi there. Um, yeah, I'm I'm Ron Werner. Um, I'm test lead for Quality Minds. It's basically a uh, quality software quality consultancy um, based in Nuremberg and then in, in Munich in Germany. And I'm working there as a mobile test lead. So you know, working on different uh, client uh, projects at the moment. So I've been focusing on, on testing in IT for the past about eight years, and specifically on on mobile in the past four four years and um, so yeah totally enjoying it as well so here we go awesome so as ever we'll, we'll start with some news um, yeah I came across on the Twitters Angie Jones retweeted a link um, to a conference that's going on this year in I think it's Portland um, it's called Write Speak Code it's a conference that's aimed at, at getting women into technology and I just, I love the format and I love the story here that Angie Jones came through this herself. You spend a day picking on blog topics to write and you end up, at the end of the day, you think you've got a blog post you can send out. Same with, sort of concept with the speak day and the end, end of the day you share a, a talk with people. And then on the third day they look at sort of more technical stuff, coding and whatnot. And then they have a fourth day where they, they focus on how helping develop your career. And I, I just think that's a brilliant initiative. We don't have anything like that here in New Zealand. Um, so it's like a practical, it sounds like a very practical, almost workshoppy sort of. Yeah, very, sort of thing, very yeah. workshop focused. There's a couple of groups in New Zealand that really help women in technology. So there's Women in Tech and Refactor, but mm -hmm. we don't have a full, fully fledged conference for them. Do you have anything like that you're aware of in Germany, Ron? Uh, well, you know, I'm a big fan of the well Ministry of Testing. I mean, over there you have the, the dojo and uh, lots of um, resources really to get yourself more involved in, in technology. For testers, it's always, you know, a big topic at the moment is the shift left, basically become more technical really, be, uh, you know, uh, become more of a programmer to understand the code, to be able to read the code, move into automation as well. Um, but yeah, but like uh, concrete things like Angie does at, at, at the moment. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting Angie uh, for the European Testing Conference in Helsinki in, in February this year. And I think she's been doing an amazing job just bringing technology more to you know, uh, women and also teaching that to children in, in schools. And it's, it's a fascinating initiative. So I don't really recall anything like that happening anywhere around here. Um, so I think it's really groundbreaking. So um, I think we should all... Um, take that as a, as a great example. Yeah, so, but if we're wrong, if people can think of some examples of these that we've missed, do get in touch and we'll, mm -hmm. we'll shout about them. I think it's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let us know. 
And James, you had you had some news. Oh, my, I don't know. My, my Twitter feed just seems to be full of bad news at the moment. Um, I stumbled across a link to an article about a recall of Chrysler trucks who had a software bug in their truck that would stop the airbag from going off when it rolled, which is um, yeah, kind of bad. Yeah, that seems like a, a, one of the first use cases that you'd probably write up on the board. Well, yeah, it's interesting. And I, I guess it, it makes me think about why... Like, why is your airbag driven by software in the first place? Yeah. You know, it's sort of... It's a good point. It's, it seems... <laughs> Over-engineering that. Yeah, yeah. Um, not every software... Not every solution, sorry, needs to be a software solution, you know? I just thought it was, it was interesting. I think they, they attributed one fatality to it, unfortunately, which is... Um, oh, it's terrible. Sad, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's quite amazing because it's a safety-critical... Um, systems here and I think you really should have some redundancy here to make sure that you know that thing absolutely does not happen exactly so I'm, I'm really surprised yeah and it's one of those cases where you know what testing really matters you know <laughs> um, mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah so. yeah and it's, it's one of the cases where it's really uh, critical because also this can cost uh, human lives yeah and this is really when software can become very dangerous so yeah, it's it's an important topic where not only testers but developers really uh, need to think twice about <laughs> what they're doing. Yeah, I think when you look at, there's been a pretty long stream here, probably over the last three years of these kinds of challenges. It just mm. it, if you look at the auto industry in America specifically, or the auto industry worldwide, yeah, there's just been a ton of these recalls and problems. Every car that I've owned in America now, probably in the last decade, has been a subject of a recall. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So, and they're, they're minor, and they're not they're not always advertised, right? Yeah. So, just yeah, a yeah. module doesn't work, or something doesn't work, and you have to bring it in, and they they, they change it out. But uh, it almost feels like um, the, the industry is following that philosophy. It's better to ask for forgiveness than it is permission. Mm. Uh, so they're kind of front loading the marketing and the sales, and they're like, well, we'll if that comes up, you know, we'll do some minimal testing. If that comes up in the in the market, we'll fix it. Um, that's not mm-hmm. probably a great attitude to have when it comes to safety in people's lives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I read about a similar incident on Twitter this morning, actually. Um, in the U.S., I think, uh, BMW with the rental cars. They had a problem with the software because when they were taking some ferries uh, within the States, uh, the, the car thought that it's being stolen and it just locked down the, the whole car so you couldn't <laughs> can start it anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. That's really, I mean, it, it's kind of funny, but you know, really, really annoying. Yeah. On, on some a lighter topic though, we got our hands on some test fit cards over here um, a few weeks ago and we've been playing around with them. Um, Wicked. Yeah, and it was, it was Ron here that actually put me onto their existence in the first place. So, but one thing we really found that we've been using them, um, not as advertised, is using them in retros to help remember and jog memories of things that happened on the project. Um, and the emotion cards are actually pretty good in there. Some of them are pretty hardcore, um, but some mm-hmm. uh, they do jog memories. And give an example. Oh, so we used it on a recent project, and there's a there's a card in there frustration. Um, and there's there's moments in any project that that brings up frustration, right? Mm. But this this particular project, there'd been a a small outburst, if you like, of frustration, and it came from 
the combinations of miscommunication, working remotely, not being able to just tap someone on the shoulder and have a conversation, right? Mm. And we got some great learnings out of that. That's what you want, right? Yeah. Yep. And I complete we left it a bit late to have the retro, and I'd completely forgotten about that moment. So the when the card came up and prompted that, it was really useful. Okay. And I, I understand, Ron, you're using them in some interesting ways as well. Well, um, I'm, I'm using them for, for job interviews. So when testers apply and we, we have them in an interview, I quite like to, you know, just use them for certain situations like, uh, you know, just, just talk some of the cards out, for example, the, some of the heuristics um, to just uh, check for test ideas, for example, for a specific example in an interview situation. So I think that's, that's quite useful. And then, you know, when actually doing hands-on exploratory testing myself, I think they're very useful to, um, yeah, just help you not forget things and um, give you give you new ideas. So I think they're immensely helpful. Yeah, I, f I find the deck quite large to use on, on every instance of testing. You don't want to mm -hmm. go through every single card, is this one relevant, is this one relevant. But I might just pick a, hand, a, a small subset and out of that mm -hmm. I'll get a couple of extra ideas. When I um, I got a deck to take back to the U.S. Um, and uh, for the first day there, I, I liked being able to take just a break for a minute. You know, we all we all need a five minutes here, take a break off your monitor, mm -hmm. and just pull a couple out and looking at them. I, I found them really helpful that way. Just kind of re jog your memory, yeah. especially when you've been doing this for a while. It's pretty easy to kind of get yeah. Uh, yeah. in your pattern, you know. So yeah. that was yeah. So that, that's right. Yeah. When I first got them, I, I used them like flashcards. You know, when traveling on the tube to to work, you know, you pull one out, and you're like, oh yeah, wicked! I forgot about that. And, yeah. You know, it's 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 quite cool. And I think a lot of thought and um, you know um, inputs from from different testers went into them. So uh, yeah, I I love them. Cool. And then for our final piece of news, James, do you want to announce this one? Um. We have a website now, yay! yay. <laughs> hey. That'd be too exciting. <laughs> um, so, check out supertestingbros.com if you want to see our latest pods, look at our faces. Yeah. We we our intention is to have blogs there as well. I don't think we have anything yet. Uh, no, we've got a couple of links relating to various pods oh, yeah. and a little further information. And I'm I'm in the middle of writing one, so we'll have one on there soon. Oh, good. All right, look out for. Dan's blog by the time this pod's been released? Maybe. Fingers crossed. Cool. Oh, that's, that's great news. <laughs> nice one. So, rolling on, let's get yeah, start let's... on the topic for the day. Yep. So, we wanted to talk today. Uh, we have uh, two Kiwis, uh, someone from the US and someone from Germany. So, we wanted to talk about culture, specifically regional culture, and, and how it relates to our workplaces, the way we test, the way we do stuff in development. I'd like to start this with a little, some rules of engagement, right? So when we're talking about office culture, it can be quite easy to get dragged down. So let's try, let's try and keep things positive. Let's not mention names. Um, we don't want to upset anybody. But there are we're, so many people I could upset then. <laughs> you do that daily. You don't need to do it here. Uh. We're, we're looking for the learnings that have come from here, not to, to attribute blame anywhere. So with that in mind... Um, James came up with a brilliant quote yesterday that I'd like to kick us off with, um, sort of about Kiwi culture and Kiwi work, workplace culture. Well, yeah, okay. So in New Zealand, there's very much, <clears throat> I don't know if this is a term that's used elsewhere, but they call it the number eight wire mentality. Number 
the number eight wire. In other words, it, can, it comes from farming. Anything can be fixed with a piece of number eight wire. Right, right. That's kind of immersed into our culture, even as far as software development, which is great for for startups because it's sort of get everything going, tie it together with a piece of string, and have just enough that it's that it's working. You know what I mean? And from there on, she'll be right. Uh, I see. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's there's pros and cons to that because it you know it means that you can do stuff quickly and you're happy with things that aren't you know perfect as long as they go, but also it means that sometimes quality takes a back seat because you're quite happy to just sort of let things ship. It fits good enough. Good enough. Yeah. Yeah. It fits into that Kiwi stereotype of like Peter Jackson turning up at the Oscars in in Jandals. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we don't take anything too seriously. We're happy for things to be held together by a piece of string. Yep. And not be quite perfectly polished. And on the flip side of that, um, and uh, Ron, I'd love you to speak to this. So Germany, particularly, has a, um, a stereotype, a culture, possibly that of being very methodical. Do you find mm-hmm. that's that's actually the case on in day to day life? Well, you know, uh, Germans are well known to be very, uh, you know, efficient. <laughs> You've heard about German efficiency and. Yeah, I think um, there's there's quite a bit of truth in that. So um, you know, the I've 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 worked in different places, and you know, the workplaces have become more international nowadays. But I yeah, I, I can basically underline that. that you know, working in a very German place, uh, you would have very intense work meetings. Um, part of the German culture is also, um, maybe you've experienced that with, with uh, other German colleagues or, or friends. There's a bit of this, this snack of, uh, you know, when, when you first meet somebody, uh, it's right down getting to business and uh, starting with um, the, the things you want to get done with. There might be less of this, well, first a bit of chit-chat or having a beer or, you know, just um, having having some fun first and then moving on to the, to the business side of things. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a stereotype and it's, it's changing as well, especially with the younger generation. But, um, yeah, I, I can say there, there is some truth. How about you, Trent? How, how do you feel the Americans approach this? Where on that, that scale between... <clears throat> yep, I uh, I think it's funny listening to those two different um, uh, dichotomies. <clears throat> the we have a very um, intense work culture as well, well, where a lot of projects um, have some hard deadlines. I, I think that a hard deadline is is pretty common uh, in in the companies that I've worked for, where you know we're going to release something on this specific date. Um, and then, of course, the cycle gets compressed, so you need more development time, which eats into your QA time. And so then at the end, there's always a compressed cycle for QA to do as much as they can in the in the shortest amount of time possible. Um, the and, test squeeze. Right? Yes, the test squeeze. And so in American culture, uh, you know, that people that are in the IT business, people that do any kind of support, anybody that's in kind of any kind of testing, we, we are accustomed to <clears throat> having – Long days and you know long work hours, extra work hours, maybe even weekends. I think weekend work will become common. So there's like this intense drive at the end to meet that deadline, mm-hmm. um, and then it kind of relaxes again. And people uh, build. But it's kind of like um, getting <clears throat> forged in fire. So people, I think, build a certain level of camaraderie um, in that. Uh, so you get kind of close to people, you know, in your work culture because you, you're spending so much time mm. at work and 
I've been very fortunate in, 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 in this job uh, that we don't have that. Um, we're a little bit better organized and because we're doing things in smaller batches and we're moving uh, pretty frequently, then I find that crunch is much less yep. reduced. So okay. um, it's been a really, it's been a really interesting uh, cultural shift. Yeah. Do you find that that culture gives sort of, with that camaraderie with people you're working with day to day, do you feel that that builds an adversarial relationship with the management? Uh, absolutely, actually, yeah. I, um, there, and you know, it's it's a friendly adversarial relationship, uh, but it's it's just kind of known. And I think I think the big pressure point has always been through QA leadership and uh, project management, um, where there's always a misconception about when to bring in QA and how early to get them involved and how to get them involved, and then to successfully navigate all of the phases of your project and get to the end where there's enough time to do what what they ask. Mm. Um, and I think uh, because the culture is, and that's so common in IT shops uh, that I, you know, that I've worked in uh, in the U.S., <clears throat> I think that project managers do take that for granted. Like their their understanding is, well, you know, if we if we don't get this quite right, you know, I've got some good people in the QA team, you know, that are mm. that are accustomed to uh, heroics uh, at the end. Yeah. So you know, I can count on them to put on their there's there's supers uh, costumes and jump in and test you know furiously at the end so there's definitely it's sort of a, a circle that kind of feeds back on itself. Yep. How do you find that in that relationship in in Germany? Do you have kind of a, a well how's the relationship between sort of the leadership in organizations and and those sort of on the coal face if you like? Well, if you go with the traditional companies like uh, I've recently been on a, on a project working in test automation for a bank, for a large bank, um, and you know, it's, it's just a company culture over there, so it's, it's more, well obviously a bit more stiff really, it's a lot about showing presence really, like sitting there, you know, when, when you leave a, li a little earlier then you'll hear jokes like, oh are you taking half a day off and so on, you know, but it's, it's all taken with a pinch of salt, so I mean there's, there's, there's <laughs> some fun in that, but basically, um, yeah, I think it's, um, it's, it's the culture, but it's also the, the kind of um, business area that, that you work in, and what, what I can see here in, in Germany is that uh, things are changing at the um, and I think that there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one is that in, in Germany, we really have a, a need for a skilled craft, uh, uh, well, a craftsman in, in IT, for skilled developers, for skilled uh, testers, for POs, and um, um, we, we have a lot of people um, that are moving from all over Europe coming to Germany. So the, the team I'm with at the moment, so it's a Munich-based company, they're producing a mobile uh, mobile app for, for communication, for secure communication, and um, the uh, one, one of the development teams is actually super international, so, you know, in a brilliant mix of uh, different nationalities from um, Armenia, from Poland, from Ukraine, from Belarus, from Russia, Portugal, you know, uh, you name it. And it's, um, I think this is, this is really changing at the moment, that, uh, you know, you have much more of a, a mix of different cultures, um, and I think that brings a lot of positive change in, into the game. Um, because the, the, I guess you guys agree, the, the worst thing that can happen is this kind of this silo mentality. So you have 
developers on one side and on the other side, mm. Uh, mm. there are the testers. <clears throat> yeah. And I think bringing in uh, lots of different cultures has a good thing because um, there's a lot of understanding and then openness for, for new and other cultures as well and, and a lot of learning. I, I, I think this is undergoing a, a big change at the moment. Yeah, I've heard of some uh, regions where testing is very much uh, sort of almost mass produced. They sort of churn people in and out. And although I haven't experienced that myself yet, I've come across it. So it's a little hard for me to comment. But I think um, I have friends that, that uh, started out in QA in the gaming industry, the video games industry. Oh, yeah. And that can definitely be a very uh, sweatshop kind of, you know, uh, atmosphere. Mm. Um and you know, there's the bug bounties, um, and there's a lot of pressure put on metrics, and you know, uh, each person they're looking for you to demonstrate some level of proficiency, and if you don't, then they're then you're you're out. Yeah. Um, and so those cultures can also create, I think, a lot of a lot of pressure. It's a little bit more competitive. Mm-hmm. Where like here at PushPay, I feel like it's a very collaborative environment, and across all the different departments and all the different people, especially development and QA. And I think that, mm-hmm. that I think that allows us to focus more on quality as a as a as a discipline as a discipline and yeah. as, as a value, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. So we can, mm-hmm. as a group or as two people, if you're sitting there uh, testing with with the developer, mm-hmm. you know, it both you and the developer are focused on it. It's not an adversarial relationship; it's a collaborative effort. And so, in the companies where you are being compressed, and there's the you know kind of a regular delivery of packages and things like that, I think that that does um, start to build some stress between those teams because now your deadline is dependent on an upstream deadline, which is dependent on another upstream deadline. There's all these dependencies, and so that just builds that pressure. Yeah. And uh, I think when you have a leadership team. Uh, they're going to lean on some of their experts. You're going to have financial experts and non-technical experts who come, their ideas to measure things and look, you know, try to find a, uh, a cause, some causation. You know, well, why is this taking so long or why are we missing our deadlines? Mm-hmm. And so as they go in to sort of uh, mechanically fix that, you know, or statistically fix that, looking at, you know, how, how do we fix this? That's where all these mm-hmm. metrics come from. And so they get this idea, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, Hey, we, we, if we have to measure this somehow, and if we can measure it, we can find the issues and fix it. And it just kind of again, it's one of those cyclical things mm. that kind of feeds back on itself. Oh, yeah. 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 So. yeah I I totally relate to that, uh, Trenton. So um, I think management also has a big part in that actually, um, because it's it's a matter of appreciation really of what you do as as a tester for the company. And um, I've intensively worked with uh, crowd testing providers, for example, and uh, there you also have this um, this focus on uh, numbers. You know how many bugs are uh, being reported and so on. And it's it's really uh, you know a, a big bash um, for for these bug counts and, and numbers that come up. It's what James Back uh, he, he calls them factory testers. You know, so you have a lot of these big testing companies, and you know they, they, they just do the well. They have test cases, they execute them, so there's no brain involved. You you just do the thing you're you're meant to do, and uh, you report bugs, and it's all about these numbers. And I think um, management can help here really by showing appreciation for the job you do. And then also making sure that it's not just some stupid executing test steps, but actually um, empowering testers to use their brains and um, you know to look at the the results 
to, to onto the product um, as a whole thing, and not just you know the, the problems and the amount of bugs that are being fixed. Yeah, so bug counting and bug hunting is, I've not seen that as much in the culture of testing in New Zealand, um, but I, I think it's sort of very prevalent in American industry. And there's, there was, I did work in a company where they did this, and the first time it comes around, it's this big exciting game where you get a dollar a bug and you go home with a bit of extra pocket money. Second time it comes around, you start you see people starting to to know it's coming. So about two weeks out, you know it's coming. You start seeing these notebooks full of bugs. They're gaming. And they, they're gaming the system. They're gaming the system. They're holding on to those bugs, which is is bad for the company, bad for the business, right? Absolutely. And they hold on to these bugs until the day, and then, like, bang, it's, I've got to be number one, I've got to get the most money, I want to get $500 out of this. Um, mm -hmm. And the, the, the benefits you're getting here are a very, very focused testing effort, and you're getting very mm -hmm. clear numbers out of it that can give the board level uh, a sense of confidence of whether we can release or not. But then what you're losing is collaboration, because people are keeping bugs to themselves, then not getting the bug out as soon as it's they've found it, therefore it's two weeks later that it gets fixed, and that has knock-on effects on quality. So you, you might feel that you're adding quality, but I think in the long run, you can't track, not by not doing bug, bug hunts and monetized events, you're losing some of the trackability Mm. But I think you you gain in quality. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, uh, you might find and collect all these these bugs, uh, but at the end of the day, you have a big pile of bugs in your tracking system of choice, and uh, you know somebody's got to fix these bugs as well. <laughs> and I mean, uh, this amount of bugs just grows, and then there's the one fix decision on 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 many of them. So that's when it gets frustrating then for testers as well, because you report stuff you. You expect it to get fixed, but you know, you know, you got to deal with that. So um, I'm a I'm a fan of these um, you know uh, zero bug tolerance strategies. I think it's one of the ideal situations that you should follow. You you will never be able to to reach that goal. Yeah, and I think I think from a cultural point of view, you know, seeing a couple uh, different approaches to this, the, having people share the vision. Right, as a group, you know, if you were by yourself and you wanted to make a piece of software, mm. you know, you you would start with maybe a goal or a plan. You'd have some vision of what you wanted to accomplish. I think it's really easy when you get as your company grows, right? You have all these different people involved. Uh, you can lose that focus. And I, you know, when you're when you're sitting down to to test something, it's not just you know what's broken or what's not working or what's not matching the requirements, but there also should be in the back of our minds a little bit of how is this going to impact our users? How is this going to impact the, the, our customers? Um, and I think if you can wear that hat a little bit, it becomes not about the dollar per bug, right, my bug bounty, but really about how impressed is someone going to be, you know, with this this product? You know, is, is it going to wow them? Are they going to, be, you know, are they going to be excited about it? We've all had those terrible experiences, right? Either customer service or software experiences that are just very frustrating. As a QA person, I kind of want to make sure that for the company I'm working for, for the products that this company is selling, I don't want people to experience those same frustrations. Yeah, in all honesty, I want to make the world a better place, you know? 
and and we it's what we do even if you even if that contribution is making one screen easy to use you, you've improved someone's day yeah you know that, that's really important I, that, that's what drives me as a tester I would say there's a question into the into the round because uh, we've got a very international round of, of people um, and maybe uh, in in your opinion what do you think what are the main aspects uh, from a cultural perspective um, for teams, software development teams, including developers and testers, um, that really make teams successful? Are there some common denominators that you could identify? It, in my experience, and, and I, and I mm -hmm. can really only talk personally here, but it, uh, so you mean it's like a cross-functional team, like testers and developers working together? Uh, yeah, yeah. The people have to get on. I think the social, these are people you see eight hours a day, five days a week. You know, often we see our team members more than our family. Um, <laughs> yeah. right. it's, it's a sad truth, but it's, it's, it's how it is. So uh, a strong effort needs to be made, I think, to um, socialize with these people, you know, find out about their lives, where they live, who their kids are, um, all that sort of stuff. Because it's they more they have to become more than just co-workers. You need to mm -hmm. you need yeah. to be friends with your team to be a successful team. In in my experience, in my opinion, definitely you got it. I've worked in places where you've got testers sit over here, BA sit over here, developers sit over here, and there's people are in pods and they don't talk, they don't collaborate. You see the people in the lunchroom, the testers sit together, the developers sit together, the BAs sit together. And that's, that's exactly part of it, James. You need to break down these barriers, put these people in the pods together, get them sitting next to each other, and get mm -hmm. them working together on a social level as well as sort of a professional level a lot closer. You, you, you need to drink beer with the people you work with. Yeah. That's, that, 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 that's, <laughs> that's a very good point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think, I think <clears throat> looking back on the places where I've worked, you know, I, I've worked for a very monolithic uh, retailer before I've worked for a big company it's just huge and then I've worked for smaller kind of mid-sized companies and you know the the bigger ones they almost naturally because there's just so many people and so much going on they can naturally get siloed if it's not in some kind of a vertical based on a business organization it could just be based on a technical vertical as well where they just get siloed naturally um, and then having been working for the smaller companies uh, and in the smaller mid-range mid companies there's just a lot more collaboration between the different people. And so um, you, the, there is a pretty stark contrast to that. But I think that cultural difference, you know, both, all these companies I've worked for have been pretty um, internationally cosmopolitan. Um, you know, we have, I, I'm from Seattle. We have uh, huge populations of different groups from different countries in Asia. We have uh, uh, Indian population that's, that's that's very significant from tech workers that have come over and lived and settled in Seattle. Um, so we do have that benefit of having lots of different cultures. So to me, the, the culture really comes from the, the vision of the company and how the management team and, and the leadership team are structuring that and what they're focused on. Um, and that, so from there, it's more of a leadership culture that's, that's, that's you know, are we, are we working together? Are yep. we, are we yep. more collaborative or are we just kind of letting people naturally silo, you know, yeah. birds of a feather uh, hanging out in the lunchroom 
and uh, to me, that's a it's a leadership culture that, that, that can make that difference. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think I think there's other yeah, things. Sorry, Ron. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, maybe also two small stories from high side. So, previous employer I was with, um, they actually got taken over by a large Australian competitor. And the first thing they then did was to install a beer pump in the office in Munich. And <laughs> <laughs> nice. what I hear from, from my ex colleagues now that this is really great. They have these Friday socials, you know, after work, they sit together, have beers. And it's, it's one of the aspects I wanted to pick up that, that James said, you know, having a beer together and also drink, you know, not just drinking alcohol or whatever or anything, it's, it's sharing food as well. I, I think that's a great thing that um, makes for a good team culture. Yep. So the, the app development team that I work in at the moment, they just recently had this International Food Day where everyone brought some of their you know, national specialities and there was a big buffet and it was, it was amazing. You know? So everyone just gathered and I think it, it really um, improves understanding each other, working with each other, getting to know each other much better. And um, yeah, that also enhances direct communication at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah, something I've, I've seen a lot in New Zealand, and I've never worked in IT in England, but I've seen it in other professions here as well, is the, the culture of a Friday evening beer and pizza. Everywhere I've worked here has had beer and food on a Friday evening. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've seen, seen it in other workplaces here as well, and in England, I never saw that once. You know, I've worked in a whole bunch <laughs> of places, yeah. never saw it okay. once. If you want to have a beer, you go to the pub after work. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same same in the U.S. It's very it's very rare to have those kinds of office gatherings. Um, oftentimes, groups will form kind of social social groups outside of work. Mm-hmm. And so they'll meet you know on a Friday night. They'll meet at a pub and have and beer and pizza and and do that. And it's kind of a optional thing, but they they don't generally bring it to the office. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it, it, mm-hmm. it still happens though. I, I think that's still important that you know if you can't and I know in some places it might be really um, verboten to, to, to have any sort of alcohol in the office but as long as you're going somewhere and doing it and I don't mean I don't mean just drinking beer either I mean like you said food is really important people don't you don't I, I say beer because I love beer um, that's it's, all it's creating a place and time and environment that is inviting to people to come to and relax in a non-work mode yeah yep. and the good thing about food too is that both you and the CEO eat the same. Yeah. You know? Right. It, you know, it, it's, it, that gap is gone when you're eating together. Yep. Yeah. It yeah. brings everyone down or up to the same. It brings everyone to the same human level. Everyone has the same needs at that at that point. Yep. Yeah. Well, talking about beer, I'm getting thirsty now. So <laughs> <laughs> it's too early Actually, in the morning here for us to start drinking beer. I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> at least one more hour. So, which we, <laughs> yeah. No, man. Maybe a little advertisement as well. Uh, we have Test Bash Germany coming in October uh, on the sixth of October. It will take place here in Munich, and this will be a brilliant opportunity not only to visit the beer festival Oktoberfest because oh, yeah. uh, that is prior to that. Uh, so, but not only experience German, you know, hospitality, German, well, Bavarian beers, in fact, um, but then also go to the. First ever Test Bash in Germany. So that's yeah. exciting. Just I'm looking at you here, James, because we're going to Test Bash Manchester this year. I think next year's now been booked <laughs> yeah. for our, our European adventure. <laughs> yep. Okay. Get the couch oh, ready, Ron. 
So there's one other thing I sort that relates to that sort of ability to help people integrate, and sort of one other thing I've seen that works really well, and I'm I'm seeing it more and more, um, is that sort of companies can support their employees having a better work-life balance and better balance with with other activities by sort of putting in flexible hours and really focusing on on the support for the person. And I used to feel that this was a big company versus small company thing, that a small company could be more flexible, that could be more supportive. But now I'm wondering more whether it's a cultural thing. How, how What kind of cultures are there in America in terms of supporting the individual and being sort of flexible? Yeah, I in, in the United States, the, culturally, it's uh, generally been, this is going to sound terrible, um, it's generally been uh, do what you have to uh, for your employees and 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 kind of get by with the minimum. Uh, then that culture started to shift. So uh, in, in Silicon Valley, Seattle, uh, places where technology and tech companies and startups started to become pre- more prevalent, um, that culture shifted pretty dramatically where now it was about getting the brightest, the smartest people, and to recruit them, you had need to have a good culture. You know, so a lot of games and uh, game time and a lot of, you know, uh, 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 nap rooms, comfortable seating, you know, uh, just this sort of a more of a fun kind of hangout here and work as hard as you can kind of a culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's been, it's been shifting, especially now in companies like in Redmond, we're finding, like we're recruiting developers and testers, you know, we have to be a little bit more competitive because there's other companies out there that are, that are offering that. So you can still find companies that are not quite as concerned about their people. Yeah. Um, but I think, especially in the tech industry, I think you're finding it shifts more away to, you know, some more more leave or flexible leave, um, more maternity, you know, or parental leave, um, better uh, uh, benefits and um, better, more of the intangibles like we're talking about, you know, beer and pizza or, you know, getting together, hanging out. Yeah, I hear some fantastic stories, particularly coming out of uh, the Silicon Valley area, Seattle as well, sort of people being able to take their kids to work um, and sort of companies that publish their, their every employee's salary so that they can prove equality. There's um, a whole podcast on that topic. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm interested to see sort of Ron's point of view here, sort of how, in, how does that happen in Germany? Flexible hours very common. Yeah, so flexi time is, is pretty common nowadays. So, you know, you, you you might have core hours where you should rather be in the office, so say between 11 and uh, 3 in the afternoon, something like that. Um, but then it's, it's, it's not so common that you can actually work from home. So this is really something you need to either gamble for or try to negotiate when actually starting a new job. So that's one thing you need to do. Um, but then there are companies who are very flexible and, and, and open to that. And I don't think it's a really, it's, it's a national or um, cultural thing. It's more kind of the, um, yeah, the, the industry that you're in. So if you're in IT, you're working for a startup company, then it, it might be easier to do that, to work from home. But then in a, you know, in a software development team, in a scrum team. So I've, I've seen it work with everyone working remotely, but you know, it, it kind of kills the direct communication because you have to rely on, on tools like uh, Skype, uh, Jitsi, whatever, Slack, and um, you're missing this, this personal aspect. So um, 
Yeah, um, I think there's there's two sides to that, but that's that's one of the things that I really enjoy at the moment. Um, um, you know, in, in, in my workplace, uh, being able to, to do that, to work from home uh, when there's need or if, it, if it's possible. And in, in Germany, actually, um, there's quite good support for young parents. So actually, uh, you can take some time off when you've uh, just got a, a baby, for example. It's quite common for, for young fathers, actually, to stay at home for um, two months or even longer wow. to support the family. And the German government actually supports you very well here as well. So you get like some uh, percentage of, of your salary. Um, so, you know, you get financial support and it's um, because this started, um, let me think about it, some, some years ago um, and at first employers and also employees, they were a bit reluctant taking that on, but right now this is really, you know, taking on big time. So I, I know a lot of young fathers who actually do that, who spend time with their family, who actually use the time to go on holiday together with their family and so on. So I think, um, yeah, over here in Germany, that's, that's quite good. So work-life balance is um, yeah is very much appreciated. That parental leave thing is, is fantastic. Here I know whoever is yeah whoever's designated <laughs> the primary carer for the child gets four months of can get four months of, of paid leave and a year of un mm -hmm. up to a year of unpaid leave and they have to hold on to the job, but they're not getting their they don't get their full salary. They, I, I don't know if it goes on the percentage or just here's an amount of money, but you also, there's also the whole bunch of hoops you have to jump through having worked for the company for so long and things like that. And generally, whoever the, the parent that's not the primary caregiver can get two weeks. Mm -hmm. Can get two, two weeks, weeks. Two weeks unpaid leave. Unpaid leave. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so for most families, that's sort of, the mother will take a year, four months to a year off. And then the father will get two weeks and, and he's back to it. Yeah. Okay. Parental parental leave in, in the United States is is, is terrible. Um, and it's it's a constant political argument between everyone about how how to do it. Um, I think it's common for six weeks and six weeks one parent will take six weeks off and then you you they tend to burn up all of your vacation and PTO, so it's usually not uh, given there's not like extra, there are some companies that, like I said, the, the, the trend of being competitive, especially in, the, in startups and tech savvy companies and tech companies, that's starting to change. So like Facebook, I think they, I think they have 12 months oh, of leave. Wow. Um, so, so for the primary parent, or you can split it up between two parents, but um, they have some, you know, so it just kind of depends on the company. Some people mm -hmm. are smart about it and. And, uh, and offer some competitive packages. Yeah, and I, again, I, I think that's an industry thing, whereas the IT industry is possibly slightly ahead of the curve compared to many other industries and in sort of that employee care. But America, quite famously, is one of only two countries in the world that has no legal requirement for parental leave. Yep. All right, we well, are starting to run shy of time. Yeah. Any, uh, any final comments before we uh, sign off? No. All right. Tumbleweed. Well, <laughs> from, from my side, you know, working, working culture, working in different cultures. It's um, I would say it's, it's all about the the people making the culture happen, because it's uh, it's one of the things when you enter a new team, you immediately get the the feeling of whether you know there's a good work culture. You know, 
people share food, they share their, their thoughts as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's all about the people really. Absolutely. Awesome. I agree. And, I, and, I, and to, to tag on to that, I do believe that a lot of it has to do with your leadership and your management team kind of understanding you know, how people interact, the importance of social interaction, the importance of these uh, support structures to give people a good a work-life balance that, and the collaboration, the encouragement for people to be working together is really important. Awesome. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's been a, a really good part, really good conversation. Always interesting. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, thank you both. Uh, thank you, Ron, for giving up your, your evening and your beer time. Uh, I'll let you get back to that now. No worries. Uh, thanks a lot for having me on the show. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah, it's been awesome. Right, cool. um, and for us, we get back to work. Yes, yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks yeah, for thanks, thanks, thanks Trenton as well. Um, anyone listening, uh, if you feel like going over to Tespash, Germany, then uh, I'm sure Ron will have a beer with you as well. So yeah. put that in the calendar. Absolutely. So give, give me a shout yep. and uh, I'll make sure we'll have a beer together. <laughs> yeah, so okay. Ron, what's your Twitter handle? Okay. It's uh, at Ron underscore Werner, W-E-R-N-E-R. Awesome. And Trenton, do you Twitter? I do. It's uh, at uh, Trichiron, T-R-E-C-H-R-I-R-O-N. So that's hard to get a hold of those two. As ever, we're uh, super testing bro because letter character Because we can't fit the S on the end. Um, um, our website, supertestingbros.com. Yep. Down there. Yeah. Um, or we're on Facebook as supertestingbros. And uh, Gmail, supertestingbros. That's the one. So get in touch and we'll see you next time. Cheers. Bye. Bye.